Turn it up. You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready, because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe. The one request we tell our guests. Stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fam. Prepare to turn them All right, get ready for a good one. Today, we are joined by a podcasting pro with a deep background in B2B marketing with an emphasis on authentic connection and organic content. He's a founder of Sweet Fish Media in Orlando, Florida, and the co-host of the B2B Growth Show podcast. Give a big welcome to James Carberry. James, welcome. Thank you guys so much. I am really excited for this conversation and have been looking forward to it for, for the last few weeks that we've had it on the books. Yay, we are too. It's always fun to chat with people who are not only experts in their industry, but have had a unique journey. And I think within our conversations with the people across the marketing world, you know, we're really curious how they've started, how they've gotten to where they're at, and all of the good tips they've learned along the way that they too can kind of pass along, not only to us, but our followers, you know, at any part that they are along in their own journey, you know? Yeah, I just let's kick it off. And I want to hear about your journey because you kind of had like this unconventional path just looking and it, it's pretty interesting. Like, how did you end up in podcasting? Like, what was that? Journey yeah. Like? yeah, so so it's a it's a fun story. So in 2008, I was living in Oklahoma and my roommate won this sweepstakes. It's one of those things you see on TV and you see commercials for them during football games or whatever that, you know, it was a phone company and it was like text football the 555, whatever the number was, you can win an all expense trip for you and nine of your friends to a professional football game of your choice. And my roommate's brother-in-law won that sweepstakes and didn't have a lot of friends in the area. He had just moved to Oklahoma from Texas. And so we went to his brother-in-law, who is my roommate, and said, hey, get some of your buddies together. We're going to take a private jet to New York City to watch the Giants and Cowboys play in a... And so my roommate called me and he was like, Hey, do you want to take a private jet to New York City? And I was like, This is a joke. Like, what are you talking about? Of course I want to take a private jet to New York City. So turns out it wasn't a joke. We got to, we got to go to New York City. Barry Sanders was waiting on the jet, like on the runway whenever we landed to greet us. He ended up watching the game with us that night, took a limo bus all around New York City throughout the day, got to eat lunch at Carnegie Deli, you know, just got, got to, I mean, it was like this insane day that you, people are like, that, that could, surely that can't actually happen, but it did. Sounds like a dream. Yeah. So it was a dream. And there was this guy that was on the trip with us. And he, I just thought he was like an Altel rep. Altel was the phone company that the sweepstakes was through. I didn't really think of anything of it, but he made sure that we got on the limo bus, made sure we got to all the places that we were going during the day. And then he went and watched the game with us. And I hit it off with this guy. His name was Jeff. We talked about faith, talked about family, talked about business, everything. And didn't, again, didn't really think anything of it. But at the end of the night, we ended up swapping contact information. And turns out this guy is the CEO of a global logistics company that Altel hired to run the logistics for this trip. And he really likes New York. And so he was like, hey, I'll just go on this trip myself. So I had been like, chumming it up with the CEO of this global logistics company that does stuff at the Super Bowl and 
the Olympics and all these big events. We stayed in contact after that event. And about a year and a half later, probably two years later, he asked me to move across the country from Oklahoma to Orlando to run a logistics company, to run the helicopter division of his logistics company. So for three years living in Orlando, I got to do helicopter logistics for NASCAR. And just super random experience, but that was really my first foray into entrepreneurship, getting to work for an entrepreneur. I went to I went to business school in Oklahoma, but I didn't really know anything. I, I, like I had zero entrepreneurs around me. So I, if you would have asked me what an entrepreneur was when I was in college, I probably wouldn't have been able to tell you what an entrepreneur was. So getting to work for Jeff for those three years was hugely influ- influential for me, seeing like, what's it like to run a small business and to have, you know, to have a team of people. And, and so that was what first kind of gave me the taste for pursuing what I'm pursuing now. And then when I think about the relationship and how that single relationship with Jeff changed everything for me, it moved me across the country. It got me into thinking that I could be an entrepreneur. I thought, man, the path to that relationship was rooted in serendipity. It was a, it was chance. It was a chance encounter that we win this ridiculous sweepstakes and meet this random dude who ends up offering me a job a year and a half or two later. And I thought, man, what like relationships are so transformational. They shouldn't have to be serendipitous. You should be able to create relationships with the people that you want to create relationships with essentially on demand. And so as I was thinking through, after starting Sweetfish, we were a blog writing agency the first year of the business. And I thought, how can I do business development in a smarter way? And I thought, well, if I start a podcast, I can ask my ideal clients to be a guest on the show, build a legitimate relationship with them through the collaboration process. And then through those relationships, end up doing business with the kind of people that I want to do business with. And so that's the the roundabout story to how we ended up getting into the business we're in now. Now we produce podcasts for a bunch of different B2B companies, but that's how we got there was it was rooted in relationships and understanding that podcasting is a phenomenal mechanism to build genuine relationships with with your guests and your listeners. But the the listeners, it comes later. I think a lot of people think like, oh, I can start a podcast and I'm gonna have ten thousand listeners, you know, in, in the first couple months. And it just doesn't work that it doesn't work that way. <laughs> Building an audience is really hard. But the short term benefit in podcasting for sure is the relationships that you build with your guests. So yeah, that's 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 been my journey up to this point and and what we help companies do now. That's amazing. That's awesome because I think like the whole point, and I think this is something key that you hit on, is the idea that you don't have to, which is everybody's talking about in the LinkedIn space right now, but like this organic content and how to get guests on and all that good stuff. But everybody, a lot of companies are just trying to get that quick sale instead of build that relationship. And what would you tell companies now? Like... Like, do you think this is a good way to like get those clients that you probably are like prospecting, but are not answering your calls right now? Yeah. So I, I mean, that's exactly what we've done. So I can speak 
firsthand to the fact that it works for us and it works for a lot of our customers. And I think the mistake that a lot of companies make whenever they go to brand their podcast is they're not necessarily thinking about it in this way. I I wrote a book called Content-Based Networking that released earlier this year. And and Content-Based Networking is all about what I just told you, right? Like using your podcast as a way to build meaningful relationships with the people that you want to know by asking them to be guests on your show. And so... But one critical mistake that companies make is they name their show after their own expertise or after their category or after they, or after themselves. Maybe it's after either their company name or one of their core values. And I get why people want to do that. They're, they're trying to build their brand and they think that by naming their show after themselves, that that's bolstering their brand. But the reality is you have to brand your show around the persona that you want to attract, both as a listener and a guest. So if you're doing content-based networking with your podcast, like we could have named B2B Growth, which is now a top 100 marketing podcast. It's been downloaded over 4 million times. Like we've got all the accolades. We've had all the big names. Like all of that stuff is great. But the biggest benefit of B2B Growth for our business is the fact that I get to ask every single day, VPs of marketing at B2B SaaS companies with 50 plus employees, because that's our buyer persona. I get to ask them to be a guest on our show. And now I'm not even the primary host anymore. We've got, we've got other people on our team that are hosts of the show, building relationships that are ultimately going to turn into revenue because the show is not about our expertise. It's about the expertise of our buyers. And so we can go out and ask our buyers to be guests on the show and say, hey, how have you grown your B2B brand? What's a story of, of how you've done it, the path you've taken, the mistakes you've made, the challenges you've faced? And because we made our show about them, not us, it positions us to do two things. Now we build relationships with guests that are ideal customers. And we're also building an audience of listeners that are our ideal customers. Because if you create a show about your own expertise, guess what you're going to attract in an audience? Your competitors, other people that have dedicated their their lives and their professional life to the thing that you are good at. And so the web designer that starts a show about web design is inevitably going to going to attract a bunch of web designers to listen to the show. Instead, the web designer that does a show about the entrepreneurial journey can actually start a show and build relationships with their ideal customers, entrepreneurs. And it's not about their expertise. It's about the expertise of their buyer and the people that they want listening to their show, which are other ideal buyers. So so that's, I think, the biggest mistake is in the name of the show. And if companies can understand, like you, you can't make the show about yourself. You've got to make it about the people that you're trying to do business with. And this is for companies, right? Like what you guys are doing with your show is a different, like you, I, I heard you're, you know, in your episode zero, like you guys aren't trying to, you know, go out and get sponsors. Like this is you guys trying to learn, like grow as marketers, talking to other people in the space that you want to learn from and and connect with. So, but so what I'm speaking to is specifically like we're, we're seeing this gold rush right now of every company is trying to figure out how to do podcasting. And so that's really what I'm speaking to or the, the folks listening going, man, does my company need a show? Yes, they do, but they need to know, they, they need to name it correctly. The other upside of naming it correctly is that you end up ranking in Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcasts for the term that your ideal listener is actually searching for. So mm-hmm. nobody's going to Apple Podcasts searching B2B podcasting or Sweetfish Media. 
And, and that's how a lot of people, they, they screw up in naming their show around themselves or around their expertise, where because we rank for the term B2B, because we rank for the term B2B marketing, the right people are finding our show through those platforms. And so naming your show is, is just a big, big, like cr- critical mistake that we see a lot of companies make when, when they're branding their show in their early days. Mm, that's such a great tip, James. On the contrary, what is something powerful, like super successful, like home run that you guys have had? I don't know, with one of your clients or um, with one of your podcasts in general. So I, I think the the biggest home run is in terms of... I, I think the biggest home runs come with our clients that do content-based networking. So they're using their show to invite their ideal clients on as guests. And through those guest relationships, they end up winning, you know, five and six and seven figure deals because of relationships that they built through the show. There's one particular example that I'm thinking of because you can use this in a lot of different ways. You can use it to build uh, relationships with people you've never talked to before, but you can also use it to deepen relationships that you already have. So maybe it's somebody that's already, you're already in the sales conversation with, like they're in, they've, they've expressed interest in what you do and it's a complex you know, deal and you're having to talk to a lot of different people and say the deal stalls out and you're thinking, okay, how can I get, how can I get this thing going again? And we had a customer that very strategically used their show to say, Hey, would you like to come on the podcast? I'd love to talk to you about this thing that I saw you write about on LinkedIn or I forget what the context was of what they saw. And because they went to them with a content angle, not a, Hey, let's talk about, you know, restarting this are getting this deal back on the table because mm-hmm. I want to, you know, I want to eat this month. It was, Hey, I, I saw you're doing this really cool thing. Let's talk about it on the podcast. Well, inevitably at the end of the interview, they end up talking about the deal and they're like, yeah, you know, we've, we've been buried with a lot of other stuff, but let's get a call in the, let's get a call in the calendar for next week and, and pick this thing back up and go again. So I think there are so many different ways to leverage it, especially in a B2B setting. So whether it's, you know, you're trying to meet somebody that you've never even talked to before, they won't answer your cold email whenever you're trying to book a demo with them, but they will, they will respond to you when you're like, Hey, I want to feature you on my podcast. But then you can also do it, you know, for deals that are further down the funnel to accelerate those deals and, and to keep stalled deals going. That's you know, a powerful tool. Yeah. yeah, it really is. And I, you know, what's really crazy is like Gary V has been saying this for years, like build a media company for your niche and like years and years. And I actually saw a picture of you and Gary V. So I want to get the, like the backstory on that because that is pretty. Yes, pretty we cool. do. Yeah. So, so that was, I mean, that was incredible. I'm a huge Gary V fanboy. We did some videos, a couple of videos that was, uh, we called them Gary V wannabe. And, um, <laughs> and so it was just me like doing, a, doing a few different things, trying to, trying to emulate Gary V and failing miserably. Anyway, we, so getting to interview him was like, one of the greatest highlights of of my career but it happened because of some relationships that I had built doing some virtual summits so i had had a couple guys on our podcast which led to me collaborating with them on doing some virtual summits and w- they were like hey we want to do another virtual summit with you but let's try to get some big names and i was like ah eh, i don't know like i cuz i i think a lot of people focus on trying to get big names on their podcast 
And those aren't actually the relationships that are going to drive your business forward. So I push back on that a lot. And I'm like, man, stop trying to get Gary Vee on your show and go get the decision maker at the company that can actually like buy your product or service. Go get them on your show because they're likely not getting their door beaten down asking to be on a podcast and they're going to say yes. And it's going to actually push revenue into your, into your company's bank account, as opposed to just stroking your own ego by interviewing Gary Vee. So I kind of pushed back at first, but I was like, Hey, if you guys want to go and get some big names, awesome. Like I'm, I'm down with it. And one of the guys that was doing the event has a connection with a guy that uh, is like the GM of the Chattanooga office of Vayner Media. And he was like, Hey, I talked to my buddy. Gary's going to be in Chattanooga on, I think it was May 1st or something like that. He's like, he's going to be in Chattanooga. If we can do the, like he can get us an hour on Gary's calendar on this day. Can you drive up to Chattanooga and I'll interview him for our podcast. You can interview him for the virtual summit. And so I was like, absolutely. I will drive to Chattanooga. So like, Packed a buddy in the, in the car and drove, I don't know, it was like 12 or 13 hours up to Chattanooga to interview Gary Vee. And it was, it was incredible because he's such a, like, he's so, he's there. He's like so present with you. It, and you just know, like, that guy's phone has got to be like ringing off the hook. He's probably got. 27 text messages coming in every four seconds, but he like, he's a hundred percent focused on you whenever he's in the room with you. I don't think that I ever really picked up on that. Like in all of the vlogs and stuff that I've watched of him getting to experience it firsthand and just see how genuine and how, how much he wants other people to win was fascinating to me. So got to interview him for, I think, uh, 15 or so minutes and I uh, got some incredible content out of it. Obviously got my LinkedIn header image out of it. And so it's, yeah, it, it was, it was really, really fun, but he's a genuine guy. I, I just caught myself defending him on a LinkedIn post that somebody was like, Oh, he, you know, he claims all this stuff, but he had everything handed to him. His, his family, you know, had a liquor store that they gave to him, yada, yada, yada. And so I'm, I'm over here being a keyboard warrior about how. That business was only doing three hundred thousand dollars after you know in in gross margin and and you still had to pay all your employees after that, so like that business actually wasn't all that successful, and certainly it helps i mean when you have an entrepreneurial father as as you know Daniel, like being around entrepreneurs growing up like certainly doesn't hurt, but it didn't help him as much as I think a lot of people think it did yeah, and I think you brought up a really good point that I think a lot of what makes good marketers is I think is I think it's an underrated skill. It's just active listening, like listening, mm-hmm. like, and Gary V does that very well. And I think like it's keeping your ear in like the community. Ferg does this really well because she runs social media like for big companies and she's done it. And it's just like paying attention to your audience. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a really underrated skill. And I think it separates a lot of marketers is keeping your ear and you're doing it, man. I mean, Daniel, you're, I mean, you're obliterating on LinkedIn right now. And I think it's because you have your ear close to the, close to the pavement on like, what is, what's working? What do people actually want to consume on this platform? And you're creating content that perfectly aligns to what people are engaging with. And so I like, I, you're at the top of my, every time I open the freaking LinkedIn app, I'm like Daniel Murray, <laughs> the top of my feed. And so, so I, I think you're spot on. I, I think listening, truly trying to like figure out what 
what your audience wants and uh, what they're hungry for and then giving it to them. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what the reason I mean, inviting you on the podcast was a, a key for me because I think like people want to learn about podcasting. It's been in like the stratosphere for a while. Like, and I think a lot of companies are missing, especially B2B and even B2C. Like, yeah. like it's such an untapped thing. Like start something that has nothing to do with your company, but everything to do with your audience. And yes. it's so untapped, but nobody's taking advantage of it. And even though there's like, I don't know how many podcasts out you probably know that the, the yeah, there's a million that are, that are live now. But when you start to look at how many of those are, you know, I've had an episode go live in the last 90 days, that number gets significantly smaller. And then for companies that are like, Oh, there's already a podcast for everything. It's like, no, there's, there's a, there's already Every company already has a blog. Does that mean you're not going to start a blog? Like, of course not. You need to be in these spaces. Is that is that one of the big deterrents for some B2B companies is the consistency factor of being able to kind of replicate an episode for their audience, you know, each week, each month, whatever yeah. their kind of cadence ever ends up being? And the conversations that we have, you know, when, when we're talking to companies that are looking to get into this, I, they overthink it. I, mm. I think they, for, for whatever reason, they think that it's so much more involved than what it actually is. And this is, I mean, we obviously have an entire business built around like helping make this easier for companies. So I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot by talking about how easy it is. The reality is like, if you really, like, if you were like a startup with no budget, you can't afford to work with Sweetfish, like go and get on Anchor. It's free. Like mm -hmm. it's free hosting and do interviews on your phone. Like I mean, there, there's ways to do this stuff for like, very little to no investment at all. And then it's just having conversations with people. I think a lot of... We're, we're hearing more and more companies that think they need to do narrative to stand out. And the reality is narrative is super expensive. The agencies that do those kind of podcasts, I know, charge $35,000 an episode to do that kind of content. You see companies like Zendesk that have these fancy narrative podcasts, but then they go a year before they are able to do another series because it's just not cost effective. Like when you're spending $350,000 to do a 10 episode series and then you don't get to communicate with your audience for another year, that, that to me just, it's, it's not worth, it's not worth the cost at that point. And, but people are like, oh, there's too many interview shows. There's, you know, it's, we're just going to blend in. I'm like, how many interview shows are there in your industry serving your, the people that you're trying to serve? There's probably not very many. And, and then you can do better interviews. Like there, there's ways to extract like unique points of view out of your guests so that your interview, the content of your interviews are way more interesting. So. We've come up with this process called POV discovery. And it's essentially just asking a series of questions of your guests that get them talking about like things that they are passionate about that go against the grain of what the rest of the industry is saying. So you can ask a question to your guests, like what's a commonly held belief in our space that you just passionately disagree with? And that's naturally going to pull out content that is going to be really good and differentiated. And it's going to make your interview show better than the seven or eight other shows maybe that are in the space that you're... that that you're. So it gets you over the hump of thinking like, oh, there's too many interview shows. Well, do a better interview show. And there are simple things you can do to do that. For smaller companies who don't know who to position as the person on a podcast, what kind of advice do you have for them? 
So I, I mean, I, I think you gotta, I think you gotta get real clear on who your buyer is before you start doing any content, really. I mean, regardless whether it's a podcast or your blog or what you're doing on LinkedIn, I think you have to get crystal clear on who you're, who you're actually selling to, like who is your ideal customer. And that's, you know, you can get into all kinds of, conversations on like, how do you do that kind of persona work? For us, I mean, with B2B growth, we originally thought that our ideal buyer was going to be a VP of sales. Because I just thought, man, what person that's leading a sales org would not want to have the like just a flurry of conversations with their market? What they don't like about it is that it's not conversations about their product. It's conversations about the industry and conversations that build relationship and rapport, not conversations that are that are trying to sell people on whatever product it is they're selling. Mm-hmm. And so, and they also they have budget for headcount and they have budget for technology for the most part is what we found. So when you start using words like, hey, you should have a podcast, they're like, oh, you got to talk to marketing. So 150 episodes in, we ended up shifting and and saying, hey, we we now sell the marketer. So B2B growth became a show about marketing instead of a show about B2B sales. And so so in cases like that, I think you just have to be like, you just got to start and start. And maybe you think your buyer is an ops person and you really realize that your buyer is a finance, you know, in the finance department. And so at that point, it worked for us with the name of our show where we were able to shift the focus without changing the name. But I mean, it's not the end of the world if you have to change the name and go, hey, we had a show about operations. Now we've got a show about finance. And that's okay. I mean, you figure that stuff out as you go. We've pivoted a lot over the years. And uh, and I think with every pivot, you you have more clarity around who you're trying to help and who's going to get the most value from the content that you're putting out. Yeah. And I'm going to go against the grain right now. And I know you're going to love hearing this, but... I totally believe you don't have to measure everything in marketing. And yes. that's like my like statement. I think like, and I know a lot of other people going in that, but podcasting is one of those things that it's hard to measure direct impact to revenue. So I would like to hear like, what do you go tell companies that say, Oh, I want, I want to start a podcast, but I can't directly tie it to revenue. So I'm not going to invest my time and money into a podcast. I actually think it's really easy to tie podcasting to revenue by looking at how many people did we have as a guest on the show that have now become customers or are active in our sales process. So when if you're doing a weekly show and you look at the end of the year and you say, okay, of the 52 guests that we had on this show, are we doing business with any of those people's companies? And when that's how you're measuring podcasting's impact on revenue, it forces you to do guest outreach right. It forces you to make your show about them and not you. And it forces you to not try and go and get the Gary V's of the world to be on your show, but instead get the actual decision makers at the target accounts that you're wanting to do business with. And so when that's when that's the metric that you're looking at, now that does not mean that this this can create bad behavior, it it can make it so that every guest that you have on your show, you're just using it as a as a veiled discovery call. And then at the end of the interview, you're like trying to pitch them on working with you. That's not how this works. That's not how we've used our podcast. There are a lot of people that we have on the show. And through the course of the conversation, we're like, man, this this just 
this it didn't it doesn't feel right to bring up like what it would look like for us to produce a podcast for them. But a lot of times people will bring it up to us. So we get to the end of the interview and they're like, man, I was looking at your website. Like we're actually thinking about doing a podcast. Could you guys let let's talk about that? So I think you'd be shocked how many people come to you. But that's that's Daniel how I would say it. I, I would say you can measure the you actually can measure revenue influenced by the podcast. But I, I think at, at a higher level I wholeheartedly agree that not everything can be measured. We're doing a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. We're activating a lot of personal brands within our team. So we've got five different people on our team where we've actually not, not, not just given them permission to post on LinkedIn, which I think more modern companies are starting to get to that point where they're like giving their people permission. We've gone beyond permission and we're saying, Hey, we're actually going to pair creative people from our team, from our creative team, and we're going to have them create content for you. So collaborate with our creative director, with our designers, and let's come up with GIFs and memes and and let's come up with slide decks that we can create for you to post from your personal profile. And we're seeing incredible... like It's it's incredible the reach that all of the people on our team are getting. But it's one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, but how much of that is actually producing revenue for your business? I mean, we can point to that a little bit, but it's impossible to say that it's not having an impact, right? Like we're reaching hundreds of thousands of people a month on LinkedIn. That is absolutely having going to have an impact, but it's it's hard to pin it down sometimes. And so I wholeheartedly agree with you, Daniel, that I, I think good marketing, you, you can't point to every activity and go, yep, that's that's revenue, so we can we can keep doing that. Um, there are some things that you just have to feel it out with your gut and show and, and continue showing up and experimenting and trying new things. Yeah, and I bet I I totally bet that I I love that approach of like bringing customers on your cause or like potential customers on your cause. Yep. I also think that there are probably people who are converting that listen to your podcast that you cannot directly attribute as well. So I think there's like a two-pronged approach. You can measure those guests that came on, but there's also those listeners that you can't really measure yeah. that converted. And, and that's kind of like... People, right? Like when they, when they, you know, we ask folks like, hey, how did you, how did you hear about us whenever they first start working with us? And... A lot of times, oh, I've been listening to your podcast for a couple of years. And then I started following Logan on LinkedIn. And then I started doing this. And then we started looking at podcasting. So we saw your guide. So it's like the the buyer's journey is not this clear cut, cookie cutter thing. It's like people have multiple interactions with your brand over a long period of time. And that's where this stuff gets really hard to pin down. Like, what was the actual thing that made these guys purchase? Well, there wasn't... The reality is there wasn't one thing. There were lots of things. There were the fact that we we're putting out really helpful content on our podcast, that we're super active on LinkedIn, that they had a really phenomenal experience on their on the first sales call with us. Like there's there's all these things that influence that. And I think trying to trying to attribution is just freaking hard. <laughs> so hard. I think this is pretty cool because I think one of the topics I wanted to talk about, and Fergie is really good at this. I'm starting to like learn this is the repurposing a content. I mean, a podcast on social. Like, I think like that's the best one of my things of just a podcast. It's just like you can take a podcast and turn it into 20 different pieces of content. And Ferg's done this really well. And she has some really good experience because she actually grew our podcast that 
snack nation where you snack nation. yeah it was it was actually really funny because you were talking about leveraging some of your in-house team members thought leadership was really key to a certain strategy when i was actually working with daniel at snack nation and i think that they're still kind of enacting that plan today kind of really helped leverage their overall marketing and just the usefulness and overall explosion of reach on linkedin really was one of those customer touch points that felt very authentic. And especially coming from the top down, it really kind of shined a light in a different way that wasn't so salesy, but clearly it was very like beneficial to the overall. And I I listened to that show. Was Sean, is Sean Kelly the CEO or one of the executives there? Mm -hmm. So I I listened to that show a lot and it was really interesting. Like I'm listening to the interviews going, Oh, this, I get why they're interviewing this person. This is a super strategic relationship because it's maybe a vendor or somebody that's in the food space and they're trying to, you know, they're trying to always source like, you know, really cool snacks that companies would actually want to bring into their, their place. So it wasn't always like a direct, like, Oh, this, they probably want this customer. They want this company as a customer, but they were building relationships with vendors. But then the way they repurposed that I thought was really, really good. And, and, and so the, the tools that we're using a tool called Veed. I don't even know that that tool existed though. Emily, whenever you would have been there, but what is it, Veed? So Veed dot it's V E E D dot I O, mm-hmm. and I think it's only been out. I I want to say only for like a year or so, but you can take. So we record all of our interviews on Zoom, and you can take that video footage and you can dump it into Veed, and it will put it into that little kind of Gary V box that we all see right with the headline mm-hmm. at the top. And then the status bar. And then it, what, what's cool about Veed is it does auto transcription. The transcription, you know, is like any transcription service, right? It's it's not perfect, but Mm -hmm. it does auto transcription. So you've got those nice social videos with the headline at the top that you choose. You can customize what those, what those frames look like. So we had our creative team do three or four different kind of custom frames that we load into Veed and then it auto, it does the auto transcription. So we can now crank out lots of social videos because this tool does a lot of the heavy lifting for us. There are a lot of tools that I'm seeing pop up like that, but that's a, that's a huge way to get a lot of video content out of your podcast. But one thing I, that I'd be curious with you, Daniel, the, I, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen you do a video on LinkedIn. Is there a reason why you've stuck to text only? It's funny because I did a post about this, and it's just because I just like didn't like seeing myself on video, like for a while. <laughs> like um, to be honest, like that's the reason. And I yeah. didn't, and it actually took me a lot of guts to even like start podcasting. I didn't really want to like talk and much like that and like it's actually just like i just came to the realization and it was a kind of like a aha moment that like growth is un- uncomfortable and like growth is uncomfortable and i said it to myself a lot like and like this is where my journey journey is like starting like now and i think i'm gonna i want to get to video sometime soon but it also comes down to the awareness and, and gary v says this a lot it's like stick to like things that you're like know you can double down on hard and text is what I can double down hard on for, for now. Yeah. And I, I've seen it succeeding. I want to get into different forms of content for sure. Like, yeah. and this is like one of my, one of the things that I think is going to help like a podcast. We were saying earlier, like we did this for like a learning experience and that's hundred percent true. And my LinkedIn's the same thing. But I also think like 
one of the goals of this podcast is I we really want to build a marketing community out of it, out of like cool marketers. Like we want to build this community of marketers and that's why we call it the marketing millennials. And thank you for telling us that we didn't name it wrong saying calling it like the <laughs> show. I was so worried. I kept thinking, oh my gosh, where is this gonna go? So it made us feel good for a minute. <laughs> yeah. You you named it after the exact type of person that you're wanting to consume the content, which is to me the the way to do it. I was going to ask you effectively what have been some of your guys's favorite pieces of content, maybe most out of the box pieces of content that have really helped kind of leverage the audience or even leverage just learnings. Yeah, so I don't know in podcast it's real tough in podcasting. There's not like you know, we, we I, we've had two very specific interviews that I thought would blow up. I thought we would look at our hosting and go, oh my gosh, these two, these two episodes are so much better than all of our other episodes. And it was an interview I did with Simon Sinek. And then it was the Gary Vee interview. And those were honestly two of the poorest performing episodes we've ever done on B2B growth. Was it title? I mean, obviously, I don't know because I'm super passionate about headlines and I try to like, I'm very, so I'm, it's, that's one thing. That's another thing that I think companies screw up is they don't pay enough attention to their headlines. So that's something I'm very aware of. But here's what I think it is. I think a lot of people think that, oh, I'm going to go and get this influencer on my podcast. They're then going to share it with everybody in, you know, that with their big following, and then I'm going to inherit all of these new subscribers. But what actually happens, the the fact that we all know who Simon Sinek is, and the fact that we know who Gary Vee is, is a testament to the fact that they create their own content. And they've built structure and process around promoting their own content. So they, you know, Simon came onto our show because he was trying to promote his book at the time, Uh not because he's trying to grow the audience of my show. Like that's, that's not what he cares about. And that's not what he should care about either. Like I'm not, I'm not knocking these guys saying that they, they should go and promote the episode that they did with me. No, like they should promote their stuff that they put all of their time, energy and effort in. That's what, that's what has made them the icons that they are in the world of business. And so I, I think a lot of people have this misconception that there's like, oh, I'm going to do this interview with this particular person and it's going to blow up my audience. It never works that way. And, and so I've found that over time. So I don't know that there's been like a standout piece of content. There was one, one time in particular, I just wrote an email about this the other day for one of our email sequences. But we were doing these interviews and they were usually like 12 to 20 minute interviews with these VPs of marketing. Super tactical information. We would focus in on like, you know, three to five very actionable things that the guest could say that would help the audience. And we were just kind of in autopilot. Like we were doing, you know, I mean, we're doing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these interviews. I think we've done 1600 plus on B2B growth right now. And I was like, you know what? I want to switch it up a little bit. I've got a thought. And I did a solo episode, just got behind the mic. And I was like, Hey, here's what I'm thinking about this. We were getting about 2000 downloads an episode at that time. We did that solo episode, not even really thinking anything of it. We go to look at the metrics a few weeks later. And that episode did 50% more than any of our previous episodes. So I looked and we had 3000 downloads on that one episode, as opposed to the other episodes that we did where there were interviews. And we changed up the headlining. We didn't put an episode number at the front of it. So we differentiated the headline a little bit so that people would know that it was different. And so that's what turned me on to this idea of 
introducing like solo episodes or behind the curtain style episodes. So that's something I would say to you two, like you're doing a bunch of interviews, you're going to be talking to a bunch of people, but that that episode that I listened to, just episode zero, because that's the one that's live right now, mm-hmm. that was really, really solid. Like I really enjoyed that because I'm just hearing you two talk amongst yourself. It felt really authentic. It felt like, man, I want to get to know these people better. And so to me, like I, I was like, okay, our audience really does respond to this. So now we have a weekly series on our show. We call it behind the curtain. And it's either just me talking or it's me talking with Logan or it's Logan, our director of partnerships, talking to our COO, Bill. And so we have we now have an ongoing series on our show because we found out like, hey, people really like this kind of content. So that's that's one thing to, to answer your question that, you know, you don't, you don't know stuff until you try it. Yes. But I can speak firsthand to having heard you two interact on that first episode. You should do more of that. That doesn't mean you shouldn't also do interviews. You should just, you should make sure that you're integrating like conversations between the two of you as some of the episodes that you put out. James, that's so helpful. What a golden little. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I mean just I'm honestly being selfish just being subscribed to your show. It's like I want to hear more conversations between Daniel and Emily. And if I'm thinking that, I'm sure a lot of other people are too. Um but I and and then we've just started experimenting with like scripted episodes. So we've got a series on our show called Remote and we've been a remote team for the, the entirety of our business, so five and a half years or something like that. And uh, our director of culture and people ops does these scripted episodes twice a month, maybe once a month. I forget what how, how frequently he does them. But they it sounds more like a narrative episode. We don't do like crazy high production. We're not flying him all over the country to do like inter, you know interviews with people where you can hear the coffee shop in the background or anything <laughs> anything super crazy like that. But they're scripted episodes that have a more narrative feel, kind of a poetic intro and that kind of stuff. So just play and try and like do different things. And, and I think in that you're going to find it, you're going to find that it keeps things fresh for your listeners. Mm-hmm. It keeps it more fun for you as the host of the show. And, uh, and I think that's ultimately what's going to help you guys uh, continue to grow your audience over time. Just don't, don't get stale and stagnant. I think we, we struggle with that with probably the first, I don't know, thousand or so episodes where we were just doing the same thing, rinse and repeat over and over because we'd found something that worked with content-based networking. And when we started freshening it up a little bit, uh, it got a whole lot more fun for us. And I think it engaged our audience a lot more too. Do you lean on your team to stay creative? We try to foster a spirit of that, right? Like I naturally am the guy that has 17 ideas (laughs) before lunchtime every day. So I've got to be real careful not to overwhelm our team with like, oh, we're going to try this. No, we got to try this. No, we got to do this now. And so I I don't want to say I've had to temper that, but I've just had to like create some some process around like, okay, before I share an idea with the team, I'm going to talk about it with, you know, a couple people first so that I'm not just, overwhelming people. Mm -hmm. I I think because that's my natural leaning and bent, I think it, it, it fosters a a culture of people trying to think creatively and differently. Mm -hmm. Um, So I definitely think that that's, that's a benefit of just my personality style. Um, And you've also got to be proactive, right? And you've got to be asking people for ideas and not just 
pretending like I'm not the person with the best, like our two, our uh, director of partnerships and our director of audience growth right now, they're, they're, they're on LinkedIn. They've got this race to 10 K. So they're trying to see like, which of them is going to get to 10,000 followers on LinkedIn first. I had nothing to do with that. Like I found out about that the other day and I was like, that's freaking awesome. And so now every day they're like posting about the race to 10 K and it's like, it's a super fun thing that I had nothing to do of with. And I'm honestly proud of that. Like, I'm glad that that, that was cool. One of my ideas. Yeah. And I, it's funny because someone, some other two people are doing that is the morning brew. There's like, yeah. they're, yes. they're, they're trying to race to 10K. The, the head of like the writer, the head of the Twitter and the founder nice. are racing the 10K in Twitter. So that's, that's awesome. cool that they're doing that as well. Yep. But we want to get to the, a cool segment that we have on our show called rapid fire questions, just to learn a little more, more about you, lighten the mood, like get more personal. Um, I was going to say, you already have super good energy, but this will play (laughs) on that. (laughs) Fire away. I love rapid fire. Daniel, you kick it off this time. I just want to start. I know is what is your favorite podcast besides your own podcast? So my favorite podcast is the Craig Groeschel Leadership Podcast. A close second would be Patrick Lencioni's At the Table. Mm. Awesome. I got to take a listen to those too. Yeah. Add it to the notes. Okay. What was your first job? Like ever, ever first job? First job ever, ever. I don't know that I would call it a job, but like I used to mow lawns when I was like real young, but you know, they didn't take taxes out. So yeah. just kind of like stuff the $10 bill in your piggy bank or whatever. My first like real job where I got taxes taken out was mm-hmm. uh, at a grocery store, Super H in Choctaw, Oklahoma. Choctaw, um, I've been there yeah. before. <laughs> yep. Yep. So uh, it no longer exists. I think it's another, I don't know. I didn't even know if it's a grocery store in that spot anymore, but yep. I bagged groceries with the best of them. That's awesome. What is your go-to influencer, personal and professional? Man, I, I think personal and professional would be Gary Vee. I think I've learned so much about entrepreneurship and marketing from that guy. So he would he would be my go-to for sure. Would you say you've learned leadership too from him? I think I think I've learned probably more about leadership from Craig Rochelle and and Patrick Lencioni than mm-hmm. I have Gary. But I think Gary talks a lot about like leadership principles that really resonate with me too. He doesn't talk as much about that. No. Where like, with Craig and Patrick, that's all they talk about. But Gary's got somebody on his team, Claude Silver, the, uh, their chief heart officer that I've become friends with just through inter- having her on the show and going up to New York City and having uh, having dinner with her and their former COO, I think it's CEO of another company in the VaynerX ecosystem now, James Orsini, getting to know multiple people on his team and hearing hearing about his leadership from them has been really interesting because he, I don't think he talks about it enough but he is a really phenomenal leader. Yeah, I, I guess for me, it's almost just something that I pull from all of his content. Like he has a way about, you kind of noted it earlier about being very present. To me, that that is such a leadership quality that you know some people have and some people just simply do not. So yep. anyway, back to these lightning questions. What app do you use the most? The app I use the most... There's an app called Fabrique, F-A-B-R-I-Q. And it's an app that helps you... Or, it's like a personal CRM. So it helps you organize your relationships. Mm-hmm. And what I love about it 
is it so I can put in Daniel Murray and Emily Ferguson and I can say, Hey, I want to stay connected with Daniel and Emily every three months. And the app will every three months remind me like, Hey, you haven't talked to Daniel in a while. And that's really cool for me. Like I, I just being someone that wants to nurture relationships and cares deeply about relationships, having an app that can focus on my relationships for me. And then I can store like, if I find out that Daniel's favorite cereal is Lucky Charms, like I can put that in the app and it can push that forward. So I'm like, oh, I haven't talked to Daniel in a while. I'm just going to Amazon get on Amazon and send him some Lucky Charms to let him know that I'm thinking about him. So uh, I, I love doing stuff like that. And that app helps me do it. That is awesome. I'm interested to know what is your favorite type of music that gets you like in the mood. Oh man, I am a not so closeted T Swift lover. What? Oh. I would I, never have guessed it. I freaking love Taylor Swift. What? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I really like this latest album, Folklore. It's kind of like uh, we're all stuck inside for quarantine, kind of like Debbie Downer, depressing kind of sounding. But her last album, Lover, I was, I, I can't even, if Sp- Spotify tells you like the recap at the end of the year, right? Of like what you've listened to. <laughs> and it's embarrassing how much I've listened to, to, to her music. That's so, awesome. so she's high up there. I also love One Republic. Um, so I would say T Swift and Run One Republic are at the at the top of my list. Um, don't hate me, but when I was working with the NFL, two of our talent that I was kind of helping sort of produce some of their content for in Chicago, they were going to sing the like take me out to the ball game or something at Wrigley Field, and they went and had a musical lesson from Ryan Tedder. So we got to meet Ryan Tedder at actually a really famous studio. I see it in a ton of commercials. I should think of what that is, but it was unbelievable. He was just sitting there like ripping on a piano, like playing with them, singing. Like his voice is unbelievable. You're from there. And I think they're from Oklahoma. What? Which is like, yeah. They're, they In one of their songs, I hear him say like, yeah, uh, boys from Oklahoma, something, something, something. I, I don't think they spent a lot of time there, but I think they met in Oklahoma. How neat. And, uh, yeah, it's it's wild. It might have actually been from Tulsa. What? Yes. Look into that. It's crazy where, you know, you think a journey will never, like, not necessarily matter, but it's funny how once you move on, how so many points, you know, kind of point back to that. So, well, James, I think this has been an amazing conversation. You not only have taught us so much, but hopefully our listeners as well. We look forward to staying in touch with you, not only just as our podcast continues to take off and so you can give us some tips, but just person to person, you're a wonderful person and we appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. Awesome. Thank you both so much for uh, for the hard work you're putting in to, to add value to a ton of marketers. So I appreciate what you guys are doing and appreciate you guys giving me uh, a chance to to join you today. One last thing I want to do is, could we get a plug of where we can follow you, where we can find your podcast, all the good, good yeah. stuff that you want to plug right now? Yeah. So the, uh, the book I would say is like you're, where you're going to get the deepest dive on, on 
content-based networking, which is the thing I'm probably the most passionate about. And so just Amazon or Audible, I read the audiobook. So if you like books where the author reads the book, check it out on Audible, just content-based networking or Amazon if you still like physical books. And then B2B Growth is on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all of those channels. And then I'm really active on LinkedIn. So James Carberry, C-A-R-B-A-R-Y on LinkedIn. Would love to connect with you there. And if anybody wants to shoot me an email, james at sweetfishmedia.com. And if you shoot me an email and you want a copy of the book, depending on how many people email me, but I'll, I'll send the first five or so people that email me a copy of the book. So james at sweetfishmedia.com. Perfect. Perfect. 